listeners and welcome aboard costume station zero i'm bob mitch and i'm here with two very special guests you've probably seen them on the convention circuit comic con WonderCon, and all the rest uh i'm here with abby darkstar and keith zen welcome thank you thank you hey uh this is a podcast long in planning um which has been uh it's been interesting but um i, I like to start at the beginning what got you two into cosplay you go first oh you want me to go first you all right first. Uh, for me, um, it goes way back for my love of uh, special effects and uh, Halloween, and moons and moons ago, um, I wanted to go to a local event here in the Bay Area. Uh, it was a costume Halloween party type event, and um, I was looking for a costume to do. And I'd always, always wanted to do a, a Indiana Jones costume from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, had done kind of a, a, a half ass can i say ass uh version um along the way and uh and so it was kind of going one of those things where okay well this is what i want to do and decided researching it and so that was the very first time i put together a costume and went to an event that was oddly not a convention uh and it was uh, a lot of fun and very successful and pretty closely thereafter i started looking for something else to do and uh i had been to conventions before but only as a like a comic and non-sport card collector mm-hmm. uh, and basically said, well, where can I wear a costume? And I started researching some stuff. I remembered a friend a couple years back had mentioned something about San Diego Comic-Con and I remember Wizard Magazine and San Diego Comic-Con and that's what I looked up and that's where I went. And so in, uh, I think it was 2000, San Diego Comic-Con would have been the first convention I went to in costume as Indiana Jones and after that, um, I don't think I've really looked back since. It's funny you say that, Keith, because I was actually going to mention, and it's a beautiful segue for me to mention this now. Uh, I remember seeing you at uh, Comic-Con. It wouldn't have been 2000, but it would have been 01, and you were Indiana Jones, and I want to also say The Punisher. Yeah, and weren't you doing a, um, uh, whoa, 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 oh, God, uh, 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 Superman, we're talking George Reeves Superman? <laughs> Uh, I was a Kirk Allen. That was a few years later. What I was doing that year was uh, the Greatest American Hero. Oh my God! Yes, mm-hmm. yes, I remember with the with the curly wig and everything. Yep, oh, yep. Okay. Yep. I ah, I have some old cool. pictures of this. Actually, I should send you. Yeah, and a buddy of mine was a big indie fan, and he like got a picture with you and everything. It was a lot of fun. Oh wow, that is awesome. Throwback Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I'll get it. I'll get it to you. Um. For me, uh, I was a theater geek from middle school all the way up through college, um, and my dad stayed at home with me. My mom worked, my dad, so 
It was me and dad and, you know, comic books on Wednesdays, reading all of the Star Wars novels. I mean, all of them. He would read it, and then he'd have me read it, and then we would discuss. Uh, watching Doctor Who, Tom Baker was our doctor on nice. PBS. Uh, even to the old Dark Shadows, like that when that was on. Um, sci-fi movies, Star Trek especially. Uh, you know, to this day, Dad and I probably have all the lines from Star Trek The Next Generation memorized. Um, and just just having that encouragement and then being in theater, I always had that knack for being a little bit of a ham. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, when I stopped doing theater to finish up my degree, uh, I still needed a creative outlet. And about that time, somebody was like, how have you not gone to a comic book convention? And I was just like, really? There's one around here? And I went to my first one in Orlando and... The next year I was back and I was dressing up as Anita Blake and down the rabbit hole I went. The rabbit hole is deep indeed for cosplayers in my opinion. Um, I want to interrupt for a second. Um, sorry, but when we um, we just got back from Planet Comic Con last week, mm-hmm. when we were doing one of the panels, um, uh, Jessica, how do you pronounce her last name? Marizan. Marizan. Um, she is, uh, what's the, what is it, a crab, crab cat? cat. Um, uh, industry, cat. yeah, yeah, crab cat. crab cat industries, and uh, she's you know she's pretty prevalent in the in the scene. But we were talking about where everybody kind of started, and I mentioned Indiana Jones, and she goes, "Oh, she goes, that's the gateway costume, right?" And what was funny about it is a little known fact that she actually went to school to become an archaeologist. Hmm. So it, it was just an interesting conversation how she extra appreciated it, and I'm I speak poor English, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, the the friend who is interested in your Indiana Jones, uh, I mean, I, I like Indy a lot, like anybody I think of our generation. But uh, he is obsessed with Indiana Jones uh, to the certainly to the point that I am with things like Superman and Doctor Who. And um, he he spent ages on uh, what is it the the indie forums researching, oh, right. and he's yeah. put together several versions of Indy. He's got a Crystal Skull, he's got a Temple of Doom, he's got a Raiders. I don't know if he did a Last Crusade, but he's got a ton. Of, yeah, all the and he knows all the differences with the jackets and the hats, and he kind of educated me on it because I I had some idea, but I didn't know how again deep the rabbit hole went. Oh uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the 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 indie scene. I don't want to go stretch this out too far, but it's pretty interesting. Um, like anything that people are passionate about, but especially when you have something that there's something physical that you can reference. Uh, Doctor Who obviously being on screen, mm-hmm. uh, Superman being on screen. Um, y- you you can reference these things. It's not just a you know a comic where there's some room and latitude for perspective on what it might be and what it might not be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, here you know for a fact that this was made by this company over here. Uh, so it, it definitely makes it a little more uh, difficult. But uh, with the indie stuff, uh, you know, for a while there had been a bunch of projected stuff because not everybody knew exactly the the stories behind certain elements. And uh, we later discovered that one of the guys who we had thought was giving us factual information had been basically snow-jobbing everybody. Ooh. Yeah, so uh, everybody kind of walked away from that later on going, wow, so all these years we thought it was this, and now we don't have a clue. So we're back to the back to kind of trying to figure it all out again. Well, really? Like, it's not like, oh, uh, some new information came to light, and we know it's this now. Well, there's always speculation, because uh, originally, uh, through 
some actual documents, Wested Leather in the UK mm-hmm. was, was the company that people thought to have made some of the original jackets. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the costuming company, uh, I think it's Deborah, Deborah Noodlemeyer, uh, they had gone out and they had prototypes made from, uh, you know, what, what is the, one of the other leather, there's a couple different leather companies out there uh, that submitted jackets. And it's unclear as to exactly what jacket was used. Mm. And because none of the original jackets are around anymore, except for maybe some collector somewhere or a stuntman somewhere, nobody's really sure. So everybody, of course, now wants to pop up and say, well, I made the original jacket. And you've got three or four people going, yeah, no, no, it was me. No, it was me. And so it's one of those things where you're kind of like, oh, well, okay. (laughs) I guess that'll remain a mystery until somebody actually can find some definitive. Wait for it. It's the... Holy Grail. Uh, <laughs> Why, yes, it is. <laughs> anyway. Ah, uh, boy. I, uh, I'm i overdue to have a good chin wag with this buddy of mine about a lot of stuff. I'll have to bring this up again and see. And it's possible because, as I say, he's put together some stunning replicas of these costumes. And uh, he might be like, well, I'm done. Like, why would I even go back and revisit this when, you know, it's put to bed? Why, why go back to this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. I think... If you have something that matches the screen look uh, to whatever it is that your screen look is, because if you, I mean, you think about Superman or, or Doctor Who or anything, from any given scene, something might change. Sure. Uh, so it's whatever your favorite scene is. I mean, for some people, if you take Indiana Jones, they love the Cairo scene. And the hat in the Cairo scene is not the same hat that's used in the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. or some other time. So. You know, when you look at that, it's like whatever your favorite scene is, it honestly doesn't matter who the manufacturer is. If you get it to look the way you want it, that's all it really matters at the end of the day. As long as you've captured the essence. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. It's uh, it's something that um, I, I tell everyone to always you know do their research and so forth. But you're right. The, the key is within a film or certainly within a TV series. Um, a good example is my friend Scott was giving me a very good education on Batman the other night. Mm-hmm. And literally, from scene to scene, he's like, and that's the pilot cowl, and that's the another cowl, and like just saying, like, interiors, exteriors, they were using different cowls in this episode. And I thought, oh, wow. So, I mean, and, and it's true, when you really looked, it's obvious, but if you're not, then you're thinking, you, so you could see total discrepancies because you're looking at two different things. And that just depends on how accurate do you want to go. And accuracy, I think, is both a good word and a bad word for cosplayers. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, but it sounds like, and, I, and this is something I ask, is, you know, do, do you live by, you know, live or die accuracy, or is it just about getting the read? And it sounds like you lean more to getting the read. It, it, it really depends. Now, it depends on the source material. For stuff that is kind of open to interpretation, a mm-hmm. lot of times with artists, you know, say you're working from a comic book or an art book. You know, the artists don't always have actual construction in mind when they're drawing these items. Um, when I was working with um, Jeff Matsuda on a project, and I was helping him design a female superhero costume. And so he's sketching out, he's sketching, and he's sketching, and I'm on Skype with him. And I went, Jeff. He's like, yeah. I was like, where's the zipper? <laughs> and he's like, what? How am I supposed to get into that costume? Well, uh you can't pull that over the chest and you can't pull it up the hips. So how's that going to work? Where's the seam line for the corset? How is it going to attach on? Where is the laces? And and he's, he's sitting there and the, and I, the pen's not even moving. And he's like, okay, well, um, 
Huh. <laughs> you know, it's it. You know, accuracy. I think if you have the source material that will allow you to have that absolute accuracy, and you know, fortunately, comics co- costume designers in this day and age are getting a lot better. They realize that people want to recreate their looks, both for good and for bad. You know, so now there's lots of costume houses, fabric houses that won't recreate certain fabrics because they now have a contract. But I think. Getting to the point where, at least from Keith and I, we want it to be as realistic and as accurate as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that means faking a piece or, you know, maybe aging it a little bit more than what it's shown or maybe changing a color scheme a little bit. But that's our that's our kind of our end goal. Yeah, and, and the thing that I find is that uh, when you talk about accuracy, it's kind of like, all right, do you want hero accurate or do you want scene accurate or screen accurate and and those words all mean something different because when you think about any pro, any piece that's hero accurate uh, you know when you take into account lighting and uh the particular lens that's being used that's going to change and distort certain things so a hero accurate piece is going to be what you actually see these days because so many movies or tv shows go to prop auction you, you can actually get all of these screen-used hero props. And what you get in your hands may not be what you feel like you see on screen. True. Because, I mean, let's face it. I mean, you take the original series Star Trek, and if I remember correctly, the, the carpet that you see in, you know, while watching it is some sort of, I, I want to say, a grayish color or whatever. I forget now. I'm sorry. Uh, but the actual carpet is ugly. <laughs> And when the, and when they lo- what was the, what, 60s and 70s, yeah. what did you expect? But, the but, carpet is never pretty. But the thing <laughs> is, when they light it up, it changes color. And so that's the thing. Do you want what you see on screen, or do you want the actual hero piece? So a lot of times this will come into play where people talk about the slave, slave Leia costume from Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, Return of the Jedi. And that has been discussed multiple times. And so depending on whether you want hero accurate or screen accurate, the colors will vary. And everybody's take on it is going to be a little bit different. It's just a matter of preference. For me, I like to mostly capture the essence. If I can nail down some specifics that I know are correct, uh, then I will. But I want people to be able to see a costume and go, oh, yeah, that's, that's Wolverine or that's Ash from you know, Army of Darkness with no questions. And that's kind of my goal. Uh, I totally understand that. Uh, I, I've been I've been down this road so many times, and there are times where even if you have the knowledge of what's accurate, you can't achieve it either because something's not available anymore, or it's way out of your price range, or you don't have time to do it like that. Or other times, practicality wins out. Um, I know that my Captain Marvel boots, to be t- totally accurate, would be, would be lace up, but I had to go with zippers just for sheer practicality's sake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's it's funny that you mentioned that too because uh, we had an opportunity not too long ago. We were over at um, Stan Winston uh, Studios and New Deal Studios, and we were doing a kind of a I forget what the Matt Winston's calling it now. I think it's Monsters meets something. Um, so he's doing a, a video series on stuff, and we really sat back and we talked about how in this day and age, uh, the hobbyist world of costuming is starting to merge a lot with the industry itself because the industry they build costumes or they used to build costumes 
for you know they build 15 costumes they build a costume for one or two takes and if they destroy it that's okay they got the next costume and when you or i build a costume we're building it to last not only several hours at a convention but several cons over a year or two or more so um it, it changes the d- dynamic uh, the industry doesn't build costumes that way uh, because they've got bigger budgets mm-hmm. but they're starting to realize that when it comes in uh, when dollars count and they need to make costumes for less money they're starting to look at us Interesting. as to how to design costumes and what's funny too is they're starting uh, when it comes to more comfort and functionality they're starting to look at us because we think about how to actually wear a costume for, you know, hours at a time when they might only need to get one shot that might take, at best, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yes, th- this explains why uh, there are definitely some costumes where once I've recreated it, um, my, my hat goes off to the original actors because I'm like, how do they deal with this? And then I have to remember, they only have to have it on for five minutes or ten minutes at a time, and then they could take a break. Yep. <laughs> And here I am being crazy as a fan and sweating to death for like, you know, four hours. So, <laughs> Yes, hence everybody who's ever worn a BSG flight suit from the new uh, BSG series. Mm-hmm. Same yeah. problem. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. Well, because it doesn't breathe at all. So that's why they always had it tied around their waist because those suits didn't breathe. Yeah, it's like basically wearing a plastic bag. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not. I shouldn't be surprised. What? So it's it's basically just a plastic suit. Yeah. Yeah. The the, the actual uh, uh, summer's fabric for the BSG flight suits is um, it's not really a neoprene, but think of a. I don't know if you ever done any kind of a diving before, but think of a dry suit. Mm-hmm. And the dry suits, uh, they don't let any water in. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's a self-contained unit that allows you to sweat and everything. Uh, so that's basically what the, the, the those summer's flight suits were. And uh, I know a few uh, friends of mine had made those flight suits, and they actually ended up venting the back scallops, uh, so they'd actually let a little bit of airflow in. And it was interesting when you'd see people who had actually made those suits before, and they compared their suits against the, the fan-made suits. They're like, oh, my God, why didn't we think of this? This is a great idea. <laughs> so go figure Nice. Um, so, uh, starting on that level, what uh, what brought you guys to doing the the Battlestar Galactica costumes? I know I've seen uh, you, Abby, do a great Starbuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, <clears throat> I was an original BSG fan. Dad and I watched you know the TV movies, the original series. So I was actually late to the new series um, because I was a diehard. No, Starbuck is not a girl. Bah, I'm not watching this shit. Mm-hmm. I actually saw the finale <laughs> before I ever watched episode one. <laughs> um, so I, I kind of have an idea of what's going to happen. Yeah, that's not awkward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but Keith was like, Abby, you need to watch the show. And a bunch of my friends were like, you need to watch the show. You kind of get into Starbuck mode. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So we watched it. And if you've ever seen that bit from Portlandia where they marathon BSG, that was basically... Keith and I, where he's like, okay, it's time to go to bed. And I'm like, no, no, one more episode. Just one more episode. Just one more. And Four hours yeah, later. Four hours <laughs> later. And then we got the opportunity to get some of the screen used uh, BSG. Blood and Chrome. From Blood and Chrome, from Anovos. 
So, of course, we jumped on that because we like that series as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess it, it came about because I love the old BSG and I love the new BSG and I, I love Starbuck because I can be unapologetically belligerent to people and they love it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, Battlestar Galactica, I had the pleasure of you know, catching the early one, you know, the original series. And, you know, when when you watch it when you're younger... It's amazing. It's awesome. And it's funny because uh, when the first PSG came out, much sort of like Abby, but not as late as Abby, uh, I kind of didn't want to watch it. I remember being up on the Replica Prop Forum and being in the Op Topics area where they were talking about it. I'm like, eh, yeah, they made a bunch of the male characters win and this and that, whatever. I'm not sure I really want to dive into this. I don't understand what this... I, I don't really get what they're doing. Uh, it's a reboot, but it's not a reboot. And that was my confusion. They're they're they were nodding the old series, but yet they were the same characters in the new series, and it was really confusing. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of stayed away from it. And I remember one night, uh, I just happened to be flipping through the channels, and uh, apparently they were running the miniseries on CBS, and I. I think it was the third or second episode into it, and I just happened to tune in. I'm like, oh, whoa, this is kind of cool. There's a dogfight going on. What's this? Wow, those look like vipers. What's what's this whole thing? And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, this is that new BSG. And when they were running it, it was because they were actually, uh, they had gotten the green light with the, the miniseries to actually go ahead, and uh, they got, uh, you know, approved to do their actual first season. Mm-hmm. So I watched through it, and I, I got hooked immediately. I'm like, okay, wow, this is really cool. Um, I appreciated the nod to the old series, and I thought they did a great job. Yeah. There were st- still some question marks as to why they chose to do what they did in the way of accepting that the old series happened, but yet now you still have the same characters. Mm-hmm. But once you kind of get past that, it's all good from there, and, and I got I'd immediately sucked in. So again, once once I found out, I, we wanted stuff the minute that Anovos, before Anovos even had the... Uh, the BSG license before they even a Novos, uh, they were helping to source uh, flight suits and uh, officer uniforms, you name it. So uh, both Dana and Joe or Jose were uh, really key members in the BSG community as for making these things happen. And then, of course, when they got the license, then they immediately went into making officer uniforms. Then next, it was you know, the duty greens and stuff. Yeah. And so when we had the opportunity to pick up the screen use stuff, we just couldn't pass it up. I still want to get my uh, my officers. You want your duty my, my, blues? My duty blues yeah. for Starbucks because I just, I love the tailoring and the, and the look of those, those uniforms. They're just, they're just great. I like being belligerent. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, uh, Comic-Con, what, two years ago when I first yeah, wore Starbucks? It might have been longer than that. Um we went to a bar, of course, it's Comic-Con, and I'm still dressed as Starbuck, and I'm I'm going past, of course, you know, San Diego's a Navy town, so I'm going past the these seamen, and shut up, what are you, four? Maybe. <laughs> um, actually, I'm more like 12. Okay. But, but no, I'll tell you, others? No, no okay. I'm not, right. I'm not right. so okay. I, I go by these guys, and they're like, oh, hey, hey, Laura Croft. Oh, boy. Yeah, those are fighting words. And I turned around on my heel, and I'm like, what did you just fracking say to me? Now, to be clear, this is a table full, full. full of, of Navy servicemen. 
and they're much much bigger than I am. Mm-hmm. And they're like Lara Croft. And I'm like I grabbed a chair, I I turned it around and I sat on it, you know, a la um, Riker style. And I'm like, what did you just bracken say to me, Nugget? <laughs> I'm like, do you not know who I am? And one of the guys was actual geek. He's like, guys, guys, she's Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica. They're like, what? I'm like, penalty shot for this table. Penalty shot. I grabbed the waitress. I made her bring over a, a thing of shots. And I made every single one of those Navy guys do a penalty shot. <laughs> and it was, it was a lot of fun. And it ended up, uh, you know, the... Somebody, uh, we, the one of the the guys wanted to really go into Comic Con. Somebody had an extra badge, and we actually got went, him in the Comic-Con. got him into the Comic Con the next day, and it created a friendship there. Hmm. So, you never know what happens when you're in character. <laughs> it's very true. Um, a completely different story from mm-hmm. the time I was there as Tony Stark, and my my good friend, uh, uh, you know, Eddie was wearing uh, his. Um, uh, oh his roadie costume <laughs> and he proceeded to wear this roadie costume now the year that i was doing tony stark it was also a um uh a nato convention down in san diego so it's a weird thing so necessary you know there's a lot of military personnel there and more importantly there's a lot of uh contract military or contract security i guess is the best word like Blackwater, which was a former company that got defunct, uh, there. So we're talking guys in suits with bulges in their shoulders or under their arms. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and we're at the Hard Rock uh, Hotel, and uh, we all go in, and we walk into the little elevator bank, and we see all, well, there's like six, as my friend likes to say, uh, uh, jarhead guys clearly former military you know thick neck wearing suits they've got the little uh blackwater uh you know pins on and bulges in their jackets and they all get into an elevator and they look at uh, roadie and they're like oh after you colonel or you know because roadie's supposed to be a lieutenant colonel or colonel and he looks he goes no no i'm good (laughs) and the elevator doors close another buddy of mine who's you know, former Navy, he looks and says, oh, man, it's a good thing you didn't go in there because they knew you weren't the real deal and they were going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and we ended up going over to, uh, in San Diego, there's a place called the Tilted Kilt, and we went over there t- for, for lunch, and, and Eddie took off his jacket, and, you know, his shirt was not military-pressed, and it was, it, it just wasn't up to military standards. Uh-huh. And uh, suddenly, there's a couple guys that were sitting over at another table, and they were completely eyeballing him. And my buddy's like, uh, yeah, we probably should get going, because this might not end well. Check, please. <laughs> and as we're walking away, he's like, dude, you leave your jacket on, and you didn't have these pleats pressed, and this is this, well, and this is that. Well, he's also military. Well, that's what so, I said. Yeah. And, and he's just like, he's basically just like, man, if you're going to be in San Diego, and you're going to be dressed up. You know, and you're going to be basically wearing Air Force, and you're supposed to be a colonel. Uh, you got to clean up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a lesson learned for people who might be dressed as military um, in San Diego. You mm. better just wave your badge around and go, "I'm not one of you. Please don't kill me for stolen valor." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see how that could be a, a, an interesting problem with those kind of characters. 
Um, I know that uh, when Scott did the Brigadier uh, from Classic Who, uh, yeah, uh, I think someone did call him out that his pips were American, not British. And uh, I mean, he knew that. And it's been corrected since then, I believe. But, you know, it's one of those things where you think, how many people are really going to notice? And, you know, there's always somebody. It's the Internet. Yeah. It, you, you'd be surprised. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, with a, like you take a costume, and I, I know you're going to edit this later, so we can just talk randomly. But you take a costume like the roadie costume, and we we replicated the ribbons exactly to screen use. But what's funny about those ribbons is for a person of the age that roadie should be, um, those ribbons wouldn't be possible. I mean, I think there was like a Korean War ribbon in there. <laughs> <laughs> so whoever on the cosmic set put those ribbon sets together. They're yeah. like, oh, these are pretty. Yeah, yeah, these will look good on camera. Pretty much. Yep, yep. They weren't, yep. I, I, and I've seen that too, where, yeah. <laughs> it's all about the read. Did it look yep. good? Yep, all right. Good, cut, print. Um, sw- swinging back briefly, uh, you, you mentioned how you are belligerent as a Starbuck. Uh, how much of cosplay to you is about just wearing the costume versus a performance? Uh, um, you know, I don't really do cosplays that I don't feel a connection to. I mean, a lot of times if I see a design and I'm like, ooh, that's nice. I'll, I'll... Abby likes the boots. Yeah, so most of the time it's 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 the boots on a character that get me first. But I'll try to research it and find out who the character is, because if I don't find a connection to it, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna invest my time and my money. Um, so generally, when I do get into character or I do a costume, I end up getting into character. Um, it's funny I. I guess it's a remainder for my theater days, but when I'm getting in Black Bombshell Black Canary, I put on a bunch of 40s music and Ella Fitzgerald, and I, I try to get into that kind of that kind of vibe. Um, Starbuck, I listen to the Battlestar Galactica themes over and over and over. And it's just a different character, just because that's part of the fun to mm-hmm. me because of my background. Other people, you know, not so much, but for me it is. Sure, sure. And um, it, it all depends on, I'm sure, the character and the setting and so forth. I mean, uh, I'm sure, what am I thinking of? Like, if you've ever done a free comic book day or um, anything where you're encountering more families and children who are much more willing to kind of go into the yeah. fantasy of who you're playing as opposed yeah. to regular fans, uh, I always think that's magic when you can pull that off. Well, I've noticed when I uh, I did a bell costume for a library reading, um, my friend Hannah Kent actually made it for me. Um, she, and when I'm in Bell, I go into total princess mode. I mean, from the way I'm walking to the way I'm talking to my hands, you know. And when I talk to kids, it's it's definitely total princess mode. And you go to Disney mode. Yeah, I go into Disney mode. I used to work there a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, so I, I, I think it's more fun, though, but it really does depend on the characters and and what you're doing you know for a free comic book day i we've done black widow and tony stark and you know i talk with the little girls about kicking butt <laughs> so <laughs> and i talk with the boys about drinking no you don't <laughs> no fine, you're, you're right you're right you're right i talk technology yeah, um, you talk about how cat sucks and you're the best exactly that's what he starts civil war that's what he does uh. But, no, it, it is funny. Um, for the most part, most of the characters I picked out, I, I wouldn't say that I go into full character mode. <laughs> Krieger. But, thanks. Uh, <laughs> but I like to embody the characters. 
so I, I like people to be able to walk up and know right away, like, if I'm doing Batman, you'll never see me smile. If I'm doing Spider-Man, you won't see my face do anything. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, but no, like if I'm like if I'm doing Ash from uh, Army of Darkness or whatever, it's all about, about snarkiness and macking on the lady. Yeah, and exactly. Which oddly, if you think about the characters I've done, they might be all kind of similar. Womanizers with yeah. alcohol problems. Wow, <laughs> not not Batman, not Batman. No, Batman just has PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I'm not sure if Commander uh, Riker had an alcohol problem, but interview is over. No, no but he, uh, uh, Riker had a chair problem. I get a chair problem, <laughs> and, and he was a notorious womanizer. Fact, yes, Riker was. When you think about the next generation, Riker was created to be Kirk. Yeah. Less of a dick. Yeah, but he was created. They, uh, Picard was so different than anything they they had well, done. Well, Picard was an actual officer who he ha- actually upheld, was. upheld yeah. the prime directive. Yeah, no, Picard was. When you think about the Star Trek shows, Picard was exactly what a captain would be. Not someone who went down with the away party. He stayed with the ship. He would go down with the ship. <laughs> he was a captain, and the second officer was. The second officer and so actually the next generation was actually extremely smart but in order to capture both the old series or i should say the original series and, and then of course the i'm sorry i'm looking over at my dog who's kicking his feet right now as i are, are rolling back behind his head he's clearly having some um okay, weird same topic policy. okay sorry um <laughs> stay on and, target uh, you know so you think about <laughs> you think about it and Riker was supposed to be kirk yeah no i i mean i think that the next generation captured star trek probably better than any series i had seen i mean they they kind of filled in all the voids and they they get they gave fans that kirkness but while at the same time anybody who had an issue with kirk and the way that uh, the original series was they were then given a captain who actually was very military-like uh, so, you know, you kind of got the best of both worlds out of that. Very true. Very true. Uh, but while, while we're kind of on this topic, uh, talk to me about your Troy and Riker, which I remember seeing at WonderCon, I want to say two or three years ago, and I thought were just spot on. Uh, yeah. Um, well, that, that was actually, uh, um, I've, I've always been the TNG girl. Always wanted, I've done you know, the cranberry suit Troy. Um, and I've always wanted to partner up with Keith with when it came to Riker. And that was kind of like my thing going, come do Riker with me. Come do Riker with me. Come do Riker. Come do Riker with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And it was funny because, uh, I mean, I've been a next generation fan for a very long time. And out of all the characters, I always wanted to be Riker. Uh, I always imagined that if I could ever be one character from the next generation, I wanted a red command uniform. Mm-hmm. And nobody was really doing something that I liked. Uh, I had seen some stuff you could get here or there, but it wasn't exactly what I wanted. Because technically the Roddenberry patterns are inaccurate that they're selling on their website. Yeah. And, and the color, yeah, and the color wasn't red. It wasn't, it was really a deep maroon color. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted something that looked 
screen accurate and had the right look and it was made of wool and yeah. I, I wanted that look because when you think of uh, the first season they had that horrible spandexy thing that went on which I hated yeah and apparently apparently well was it was pre Picard maneuver yeah. the the spandex apparently the staff hated too they're like oh it's gonna be so futuristic let's do spandex yeah and everybody hated it and it smelt to high everything and so they came back and they designed something that actually looked like well, what you would expect the military to wear. It was wool. And it was it, a wool gown. And it was, it was cut. And it had a military cut to it. And it looked appropriate. Of course, it had no gussets in the armpits. So every time you would raise your arms, the whole thing would lift up in your ab, you know, ab area, which created the Picard maneuver. Mm-hmm. But it still looked official. So that's what I wanted. I never liked the spandex piece. But I always wanted, like, I think it was third season. Yeah. I was like, that's what I want. And uh, I, I'm I'm very sad to be missing Celebration Seven. Yeah, um, I I know. Let's see, you're not going to make Big Wow this year, right? Because you're going to be out of town. Well, so so Big Wow is the same weekend as Celebration Seven, right? And we were originally going to Celebration Seven. Yeah. yeah. So we had to make a a, a choice. And of course, we had already chosen Celebration 7, so that meant that Big Wow would have been out of the question regardless. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, we were hit up by Australia, Oz Comic Con, and then we were like, well... It's like, when it, you know, how often are you going to get an opportunity to go spend two weeks in Australia? Of course. You know, so I'm like, bye guys, I'm going to go hug a koala. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, oddly enough, you would think it would be an easier decision. It wasn't. Uh, we sat there and we... Went to a bunch of our friends, uh, who a couple of which have been to Australia, who've been to that specific con, who also have been to Celebration, uh, a couple others who are going to be at Celebration. We just went through the whole thing because this Celebration, Celebration 7, is going to be unlike any other Celebration. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you, Disney at the helm, with a new movie coming out, with new costumes to be unveiled. There's so many cool secrets and new things that are going to be seen it's almost a shame to miss it you know the last several celebrations have been awesome but i i suspect this one will be probably one of the coolest ones to date mm-hmm. so miss it is a pretty big deal and plus we have so many of our star wars friends that you know they only get out the one convention a year and celebration is the one that they get to yeah so. a couple of them are like we're leaving australia and going to celebration <laughs> exactly <laughs> Exactly. Like, uh, sorry. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't an easy choice, but, you know, who knows? We may never, ever get the opportunity to go to Australia, so. No, I'm with you. I, uh, if I had the opportunity to to leave the country and do that or head back to England or anything like that, I think it it would have to trump it because it's so rare that comes up. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm, my allegiance is to Big Wow, but that's because I'm in with Valerie and Kelly and those guys. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, I really love that con. It's a fun time. And I'm still really scratching my head as to how it ended up in mid-April instead of mid-May where it's now in direct I mean hopefully it's not permanent but it's as you say competing with Celebration and I'm like man I hope it doesn't hurt their numbers this year yeah um you know I love Big Wow and that's one of one of really our favorite cons I've always loved before it was Big Wow Super Con and Mm -hmm. uh, the the attention to the artist and, and the fact that it is a much more intimate con it's a lot of fun and you have a chance to be able to spend a little more time with people that you know. And I don't know. I like smaller, more intimate conventions. 
as a result, which is one of the reasons why we love Planet Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, my understanding was is that the usual time period uh, and space that they would get at the convention center was already booked, so they had to pick a different weekend. And uh, and so uh, so anyway, uh, sorry, I got distracted for a moment. And so they had to pick a different weekend. And I think I don't I don't know if when they picked the time that they knew exactly that celebration was happening. Uh, but, I mean, they didn't really have a lot of choices. So they picked that, and then, of course, Celebration was there. But I think they're doing a good job. I mm-hmm. mean, they, they've gotten in a lot of headline artists. I mean, Adam Hughes and Allison are back. And, uh, the, 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 you know, they're bringing in Bill from Punish Props. And, uh, you know, Meg Turney's going to be there. And so it, it's going to be exciting. I'm sad to be missing it. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, they realize that they have to do that because there are a lot of people that will be at Star Wars Celebration. But, you know, we, we're seeing that a lot uh, this year in partic- particular. There's so many more cons that are popping yeah. up that there's uh, more cons than there's actually physical real estate. So you think about, for example, Wizard World San Jose mm-hmm. is happening the same week in the Dragon Con's happening. Hmm. No, I didn't and, know that. Huh. Yeah. And to think about that, now that's Wizard World's first uh, Bay Area outside of Sacramento convention and they're trying to look at you know trying to fill the void where WonderCon was so they picked that weekend and of course that was probably the weekend that was available but it's the weekend for DragonCon mm-hmm. I can guarantee that a large percentage of the Bay Area people are going to be at DragonCon there's still going to be plenty of people that don't go to DragonCon that will still go to Wizard World so I think it'll be fine but um, there's something other than DragonCon <laughs> but we're starting to see that a lot more so it's um, definitely interesting. I think that's one of the things you know. We t- I talk about in the panels we do is that right now geek is chic. Totally. You know, when the blockbuster movies that you have going on are ninety percent of them based in comics or gaming or something else, and those are the ones that are making the billions and billions of dollars. We are no longer the minority. We are the majority, and I think to an extent, society is really, really catering to to us more so than ever before Mm -hmm. very true uh which has in many ways been a blessing in a few ways has been a bit of a curse but you know we're definitely in a renaissance in many ways yeah but um yeah it, it no it's a very good point there's there's a lot of cons um i know back in the day i used to only do gallifrey and comic con and now i do like four or five a year a standard and there's a couple others that sometimes just sort of pop up that I'm like, well, I can do that. And it's local enough. Um, so I know what you mean. Um, if I had the money, there's I realize there's all kinds of stuff going on all over the country, uh, like Dragon Con and New York Comic Con and so forth, that uh, I definitely would like to check out. You know, speaking of, I mean, it, you, you guys seem to have been to probably more cons than me. What has been overall your favorite convention to attend? That's a, that's a hard one because each one of them is so different. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got Dragon Con, which is like the one convention, Keith and I say this, it's one convention we do not work. We do not plan anything. We get up and do photo shoots if we feel like it. We get up when we get up. We drink when we, you know, we hang out with friends. And it's our, our Christmas and our party con and our vacation. Yeah, you don't do anything you don't really want to do, basically. I, I think I've been in all the years I've gone to Dragon Con, I've been to one panel. Yeah. 
one. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been to a couple, but not many. I, I yeah, yeah. What? Well, it's been how many years? Five or six, seven yeah. years, and yeah. I've only been to one panel. Well, you know, when you think about a con like Dragon Con, and you think about it, uh, I, I assume you know who uh, Peter Mayhew is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Peter Mayhew played Chewbacca in Star Wars, and his wife Angie. Um, you know, we've had conversations with them, and and they have said time and time again, and they do more cons than probably anybody. Um, that Dragon Con is the only convention that they would actually pay to go to. Hmm. So that gives you a little bit of perspective on what their value of Dragon Con yeah. is. Dragon Con is unlike any other con out there, and I I don't want to promote it because it's really crowded. <laughs> no, it's seriously seriously yeah. really crowded. But the thing is, is that it's it's basically Mardi Gras for nerds. Yeah. Right. I mean. It, anything goes, and as long as you're safe and you you know you're with friends, you're normally pretty good. I mean, but there's also other conventions like we we've been going to Planet Comic Con for about two years in a row now, and I love 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 the people there. Um, I've kind of adopted a couple of them, and they're now my cosplay babies. Where the first year they're like, oh, I could never costume, and I'm like, come on, do it, let's do it, let's do it. And then this year they're coming up to me showing me their costumes. And then they're telling me their plans for next year. That's great. Then there's WonderCon, which is is kind of a mini Comic-Con in itself. And then you have the different Wizard World conventions. I think what makes it different and and best is when you have a bunch of people that are excited about seeing costumes, seeing their favorite fandom you know, seeing panels, seeing celebrities, seeing, you know, the craftsmen that are there selling their awesome, awesome geeky stuff. I think it's the people that makes it. It's not so much whoever's organizing it. I mean, almost anybody can organize a convention, but if you have the good people coming to it, that's what's going to make it. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, We had the pleasure uh, of experiencing Wizard World Reno. And uh, and what was really interesting about that is Reno hasn't had a Comic Con in forever, or ever. I think it was, no, it was their first one. It ever. was their very first one ever. And uh, talk about a, a, a town that was so excited to have a Comic Con there. They were. I mean, they uh, were seriously. Yeah. They were giddy. Like yeah. people were like, "This is our first time. Oh my god, we're so excited. We're so excited. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you." And we're going, "Whoa!" Yeah, the mm-hmm. energy for that was really neat and it was something that I've never experienced because that was one of the few times I've ever been to a convention that it was their first time for having one but much less having one of that type ever Uh, I know that Reno's had the occasional creation Star Trek con but and they have their anime cons but they've never had an actual comic con Hmm. and so that was neat Um, and so every con has certain things to it that makes it unique and special so, uh, you know, the ones that we probably wouldn't miss, uh, Dragon Con is hard to miss. No matter how crowded it gets, it's the one destination con that everybody likes to go to. And uh, you get to see people that, you know, you don't get to see most of the year. It's probably, for you, it's probably similar for, like, Gallifrey, where you get to see friends that you only maybe see here or there that are true fans of this. But at Dragon Con, everything literally goes. I mean, you will see uh, Buck Rogers and the, you know, what? Star Blazers. Yeah, you'll see you'll see all these really remote, obscure. strange, obscure costumes. You know, Barbarella. Um, oh, that was a big one this past yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but I mean, you know, Logan's Run. Uh, you'll see just, just all kinds of crazy stuff, and 
it's something that everybody appreciates. And I think that's what makes Dragon Con extra cool is that you know, there's somebody dressed up as the Darth Vader robot chicken. Yeah, oh that was awesome. <laughs> and and the Stark Lobo. Yes. Yeah. That was awesome. Uh, so in that sense, but yeah, every con's got a little bit of thing. I mean, San Diego Comic Con, the best word I have for that, uh, if you end up not going, is FOMO. Fear of missing out. <laughs> because know, yeah. it's like you're afraid. It's like you know, I'm going to spend almost twice as much as it would be to go to Disney World World for a week in these couple days on hotels and just trying to get anywhere. But it's like, no, you can't miss Comic-Con. It's Comic-Con. Yeah. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen at Comic-Con. Comic-Con is a place where you truly never know what might happen. I, I was good with last year. You know, if I have the same year as I had last year, I, I'm good. Well, you just want to see the, the cross on the yeah, WB okay. booth? So I was at the Anovos booth the entire weekend um, doing my cosplay thing, and I was right across from the WB booth. Mm-hmm. So my view the entire weekend was the Hobbit cast, the Supernatural cast, the uh, Arrow. Arrow cast, and then, uh, what was it? Oh, and then... Um, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch well, came in a, for a while, but yeah, but you know, and, yeah. then, and then like I'm just sitting there, and I'm like eye candy after eye candy after eye candy, and they're 20 feet away. Talk about Abby losing all functionality. Yeah, when <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch walked into the oh, when he walked in, I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, uh, I, I think they had the security might have had to usher her away. They but... did not. <laughs> I just jumped on top of my chair and then screamed <laughs> yeah that wasn't threatening at all <laughs> mm-hmm. um how she do you may com- or may not have been whole- i'm sorry how do you thing. compare uh comic con to dragon con by the way uh it's it's totally yeah. t- it's comic con's an industry convention it's work 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 dragon con there is no industry there marvel's not there dc's not there it is all fan you know, fans having their own booths or smaller companies having their own um, vendor tables. It's there's there's no large industry there. There's no meetings. There's no really. There's after hours parties, but none of them yeah. are industry related. Yeah, there may be deals that are being made, but you know, if you think about Comic Con, Comic Con, what Comic Con has become, and I don't think it always was, no. but what it is now is it's basically kind of like. E3 or the Consumer Electronics Show. It is literally a place where business is done. Yeah, it's, like, it's like GDC that now. we we get to walk into and watch. But the truth of the matter is, is after hours there are uh, meetings and there's private parties and there's all this other stuff that's happening that are meet and greets that are uh, everybody's networking with each other. And as fans, we're on the outside of it, getting to sort of watch it. But the reality is, is it really is an industry convention. Um, DragonCon is completely fan run. Yeah. So, whereas, I'll give you a comparison. Uh, let's say hypothetically, you've got a Marvel big launch booth. You know, they've got a big panel and Hall H, and it's pulling out all the stops and all the A-list come in and they're doing the whole big thing, and it's it's a big deal. But they're there to promote their next film. Mm-hmm. And then. Take that over to DragonCon, and those same A-list actors happen to show up, and you know they show up with sandals and shorts, 
and they got a Mai Tai in their hand, and they're kicking back, and they're cracking jokes, telling stories on set, and there's no promotion going on because the movie happened already, and they're just having a good time. And then, of course, uh, Dragon Con streams that through what they call Dragon Con TV, so it runs through all four of their host hotels. Mm-hmm. And so if, even if you don't get in the panel, you can sit in your room and watch it. Yeah, it's awesome. Like the masquerade, like if you can't get down to the masquerade ballroom, you just sit in your room and you watch it on the TV. It's great. That would be something that would be amazing to have at Comic-Con. I would love that because, I mean, there's so many panels that you just either can't get into, don't have time to get into, it's too full or whatever. I mean, I'll be honest, life's too short to make most Comic-Con panels anymore when you got to wait in line, what, three, four, five hours? <laughs> Overnight. If there's going to be a panel I really want to do, I will be one of those people that pays somebody to wait in line for me. Like that's that's just that. I I understand. I do. I mean, I I'm now a diehard Comic Con guy. I've been going since '01, but uh, I have never been to Dragon Con. I know I need to make an effort to go at least once, but uh, it is expensive enough to do Comic Con. Uh, but then you add the airfare of Dragon Con, and it just starts to break the back, you know. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that's that's always a tough one. I mean, um, if you if you find your flights at a cheap price, you can get out there not too terribly. Mm-hmm. Uh, prices will drop somewhere along the line. They'll hit about maybe three twenty if you're lucky, under three hundred round trip, and that's mm-hmm. not too bad. Uh, Dragon is one of those cons where it's definitely worth checking out at least once. It's the same thing I tell people about Comic-Con who've never been. I'm like, you know, if you can get out of Comic-Con at least once, you should in your lifetime. Because unlike other conventions, Comic-Con is completely different. Uh, Dragon Con and Comic-Con are the two conventions that are unlike anything else, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the cons are really similar to each other. Uh, but, you know, in the case of the, uh, uh, you know, San Diego, it's just a unique breed in itself. Yeah. The way that the city opens up to the convention oh, yeah. and restaurants change their names and become something else and and literally the whole place transforms itself and opens itself up to to art fandoms it is pretty cool. Oh yeah. Uh, I was, you know, the better way to probably phrase this question because we all seem to have our favorite conventions is I was going to ask, well, what convention would you recommend that you would consider an unsung convention most people don't know about? Um, I think something that's a good starter convention would be WonderCon. Um, I think WonderCon is a really good ground for people to get used to the comic convention. I mean, depending on where you're at i mean i've always had a great time there uh but yeah no i would agree i think WonderCon's a a a really good one i mean the thing is is when you think of the different cons that are out there um big wow is great uh like like a heroes con it's artist focused slowly but surely they're building on and much like a lot of smaller cons they don't have a lot of the bigger companies so you don't have marvel or dc you don't have that kind of vibe going on so consequently you miss out on some of the industry uh, aspects of it. WonderCon, because it's Comic-Con International still, you do get some of the, the, the coolness. You'll, you will have some of the bigger companies there. So you get that weird mix of, of uh, uh, you know, companies that are there showing off their movie-based stuff, and you get some of the bigger panels, and you get some of the bigger, you know, maybe uh, celebrities. 
uh, while at the same time, it's small enough to feel intimate and not be such a pain in the butt to get tickets or rooms for. Oh, completely. Yeah, it's uh, it was such a breeze getting tickets. Well, every year, but this year too. And I was like, man, I wish it was like this still at Comic-Con. To be honest, in many ways, WonderCon reminds me of my earliest Comic-Cons I went to in the early 2000s. Um, before it, I guess I consider that the shift years. I know it was already going that way, and I've talked to people that were you know regular attendees in the late '80s throughout the '90s, and how it did it, you know it basically was a big comic con with you know a lot of sci-fi stuff, and then it has now become the big industry thing for you know mainly movies and TV shows. It seems like that's where it centers around, and then if you actually want to get comics there, which you can, it's way shoved off to the side, you know, on that other side of the dealers hall. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, Comic-Con is kind of a weird beast in itself because, it, I mean, you really can't see one end to the other when you're in that, no. <laughs> that exhibition hall. But it's uh, it's like everything you could ever imagine in one place, which is really neat. But it's like going to Disneyland. You mm. you really can't get through the whole place in one day. Mm-hmm. Not and, and not see everything. I mean, in order to see everything, it's going to take you a while. Uh, unless you're lucky enough to not be there when everybody else is there, in which case, you know, who knows? I had the pleasure a couple of times of getting, um, you know, an early entry uh, badge. So I got to walk the dealer hall for a precious hour on a couple of days when no one was there. And it was very nice. To, so I could oh. really take in the booths and, and see yeah. what was up, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, you know, it's a year. I remember uh, the very, very first year I went, I think it was the first year I went to Comic Con. I mean, might not have been, but I remember the very first preview night that they had. And the first preview night was really neat because there was hardly anybody there. And you could go in and you could see everything. I, I think I remember they had a full-size screen-used uh, time machine from the new Time Machine movie. Yeah. Uh, and that was like the really big deal at the time. I remember that. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that really... It's so. I mean, preview night is almost busier than some of the other days now. It's it. It really has gotten to the point where some cons, and I think New York and Comic Con, are at least a couple of those. And I hear Salt Lake City is not far behind. Uh, are just too busy, and I, I, I don't know what the easy answer to that is. But you know, it's great. It's great that a lot of people are loving this fandom. And, uh, you know, it's bigger than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's hard to not be able to see things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I don't know. Yeah, it's a a blessing in disguise, I suppose. You know, you got to take it the good or the bad. Do you think uh, there's ever going to be, I mean, eventually every fad has to to die down. Do you think there's going to be a point where we're going to see the tide break on this? Because I keep waiting for it to happen a little bit, you know, because I figure, hey, some, and there are people I know that are fed up now with all the crowds and stuff at Comic-Con, and they've stopped going. And I'm like, all right, but for every one of those people that they're done, they're, at least for now, there's people right behind them who haven't been able to get in who are taking their spot. So it's not like we're seeing, we're not seeing it yet, but it's, it's, it's amazing to me how much this has sustained and for how long it's sustained. Well, I think I think that the changes are going to come from Comic Con itself before it will come from the people. I think either Comic Con will have to move, or they'll have to actually start really, really throttling who can attend. Mm. Um, and they're already starting to do that. Yeah, because I mean, everybody—it's now become a—it's like he said—it's one thing you do in your lifetime. It's like seeing, you know, the Mona Lisa 
Lisa. It's 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 one thing you should do, and I I think that yeah. Well, there you cut one of us down, ten more will rise up. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I think that eventually change but i don't know if we'll see it anytime soon for me i look at it like uh, it's like music um if you think of the concerts that are out there uh and you think of some of the big bands that are uh, really popular yeah you know, let's use you know i don't know billy joel or acdc or or you know i don't know uh, justin bieber or something anyway uh, if you pull up one of these types of mu- you know musical groups especially the ones that have been around for a long time uh, rolling stones and acdc being a couple of them but rolling stones probably one of the ones that people can think about that's been around for a number of generations if the beatles were still around paul mccartney probably being one of the more prominent names that pops up mm-hmm. when they have a concert those concerts are sold out almost immediately the tickets are ridiculously expensive and the secondary market is even more expensive and that hasn't died down so unless the comic book genre somehow just falls on its face i i don't know and considering I, all the stunts that's been going on lately in comic books oh we're killing this person off oh we're reinventing the entire timeline and people are still buying and people are still reading i don't think that's going to change yeah i i have a feeling that we will see some cons die out and and what i mean by that is that again you only have so much real estate Mm -hmm. uh and so if you have too many cons out there eventually people you know people don't have a a, a, you know a a infinite amount of uh, income so you know just some cons are going to die out that's just the way it's going to be and much like the hotel industry or anything else but other conventions, you know, they've made their staple, and uh, I don't know. I, I can't imagine them going away anytime soon. Uh, if anything, maybe the hubbub will die down, but, I mean, when you think of how many comics and storylines there are out there, and how many geeks there are out there that love this stuff, I, I think there's a lot of possibilities for stories and movies and TV shows. That's true. I think the only way it would happen is if, and inevitably somewhere it will, and again, this is still surprising to me, that to me the superhero boom in movies properly started in the early 2000s, and so we're beyond a decade now of this stuff. And um, and I, I know you can go back to classic Superman or Batman films, but you know what I'm saying, where it's like every year you're getting at least two, if not big, movies uh, yeah, based absolutely. on a comic book. And um, Heroes. Hmm? They want to believe in heroes. Sure. But, I mean, if you think about the things that we as fans like, um, you can go easily back to the 70s. I mean, you, t- you, you take out Star Wars. and Star Wars? Why don't you start with Flash Gordon? Well, no, I, well, I, I'm just talking about things that went to the big screen. Big, big Flash foot. Gordon was on the big screen! I wasn't alive. Leave me alone. <laughs> um, but when you think about... But even when Flash came out, there wasn't... The, that was still the cl- uh, Closet Geeks. Flash. Well, no, you're, now you're talking the other. You're talking Queen Flash, and that's not the same thing. Okay, do we really want to get into this right now? <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, but <laughs> but what my point is is that there's been stuff that's been building up. You know, you had you know, obviously Star Wars, and you had you know Raiders of the Lost Ark, and you've had ET, and you've had uh, you know Jaws, and you've had uh, Close really Encounters. Science you, you know what? Movie. 
the same people that love Jaws love Star Wars and Back to the Future. And, I would not count Jaws as a science fiction no. comic book movie. Yeah. Anyway, but but when you think of all the things like Back to the Future and all these other things that we've had along the way, the mere fact that now we've got a lot of Marvel and DC movies doesn't change the fact that for years we've had some pretty cool geeky movies. The Mummy? Exactly. So if you look at it between Star Trek and Star Wars and, you know, Back to the Future and Indiana Jones and, you know, you, you can probably uh, Blade and... Um, you know, uh, if we dig deep enough, I'm sure we can come up with a full-blown collection of things that have been out. Terminator, uh, Aliens, Predator. There's so many cool things that are geek-inspired. No. A little bit left. <laughs> um, that we're at a point now where, yeah, while Marvel's putting out movies like There's No Tomorrow and DC's got their whole thing, uh, there's still a whole collection of movies that came before it. Uh, Blade Runner, um, uh, 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 multi-pass, uh, Fifth Element. Fifth Element. Uh, no, that was early 2000s. I know, too. but what I'm saying is, is all these different movies that have been going on have been a build-up to what we're seeing now. I'm not so sure it's going away anytime soon. Even if the superhero movies themselves kind of well, go you away. Got, you got Neil Blomkamp doing uh, Chappie yeah. and District Nine and stuff like that. What, what was that other movie? Watch the Auto Auto Grandma, the one you watched with the robots with uh, Antonio Banderas. Oh right, um, yeah, that one. I don't remember the name of it. It was like Auto something. I yeah. think I think my thought was well, ne- it'll never entirely go away. But you know, I think of how the '80s had the rise of what I consider the the modern action movie. And after a while, those kind of died out. I'm not saying they don't still occasionally make action films, but they're not quite the same breed that we got back then. And, you know, for a while in the 80s, you also had fantasy films. They came back as kind of with Lord of the Rings, granted somewhat of a different beast. But it's to me, I see these fads usually last roughly a decade, give or take. Um, Yeah. And so that's why it surprises me that this one is still going, shows no signs of stopping. But when it does, inevitably it will somewhere, sometime, that would be the only time I would see these cons die down a bit. Not to the point that they shut down, but just, you know, get a little more manageable. I mean, you would think it has to. I mean, although if you really put it in perspective, I mean, think of how long creation's been doing Star Trek cons. True. And if anything, they've just grown. True. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, I mean, Gallifrey probably needs to be bigger from everything I've heard. Uh, I would agree with that, but that's not the way they want to play it, so that's kind of where that sits. Huh? The dog. The The dog. On my lap. Oh, okay. Um, But let me ask you something. Um, Have you ever participated in a masquerade at any of these conventions? Um, I did my first year at Dragon Con. I will... I'm. I realize how much time it took, and I'd rather be out drinking with my friends or having food or dinner than walking all day long at a convention and spending another four hours behind the curtain waiting to walk across the stage. So yeah, I've done a couple masquerades, and my feeling was about the same. And I think that they may have streamlined them a little bit more now. But uh, when I had done mine, I think you had to be there for whatever it was at the time at like one or two and then the actual masquerade wasn't until seven and then you had to wait for judging and so by the time you're done it was like 11 and 
I don't know. I, I have way more fun. Oh, and, and especially for like Comic Con, you know, you can't wear your costume until Masquerade, so mm. therefore you can't your Masquerade costume until Sunday, which I think is great. But yeah, if I'm gonna spend all the time making something, I want to wear it. <laughs> so I'm in the yeah, same boat. That's the same reason why I never did the Comic Con Masquerade. When I heard that rule, I'm like, nope. I put too much effort in this costume that I'd rather get it seen by you know. I'd rather be out there getting that uh, feedback than yep. you know. I, 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 I although I will tell you this, um, uh, the, and you've probably seen it at Comic Con. They have a uh, I guess it's uh, the press stage, which is pre Masquerade, which was always set up for specifically for Masquerade. People mm-hmm. come up to the press stage, they get pictures, and they go off and they get ready to do their Masquerade stuff. Uh, and then somewhere along the line, I guess it opened up to other people who want to come and bring their costumes to get on stage. So you have basically a whole, uh, you know, there's like, you know, 60 people that are all press sitting there with their cameras aimed at the stage and you can go up and get pictures and you go off and it's kind of cool. So it's, it's like having the fun of being in Masquerade without having to actually be in Masquerade. Yeah, Scott turned me on to that. We, we did that for several years between, I think, like 06 and maybe 13 or so. Uh, the last couple of years, they moved the stage somewhere where I haven't really seen it. Um, gotcha. Yeah. But um, no, I, I'm with you. I, I, I know some people, they, they prefer Masquerade. Other people don't. It sounds to me like you're both more or less kind of like me and my friends where I'd much rather Hall cosplay than Masquerade. And I think it's just because at the end of the day, um, you know, A, it takes up so much time, and B, it's nice to win an award or a prize or anything, but I, I don't want to have my whole con kind of rest on that. Um, I'd rather just have fun and get the reaction from fans about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, conventions for me, um, while initially I really enjoyed the reaction, uh, the fan reaction, you know, uh, or I should say attendee reaction more than anything, because nobody really knew who the heck I was, but they liked the fact that I was doing their favorite characters. But now conventions have become this thing where it's really about the people that are there. Mm-hmm. You know, getting a chance to, even if I get, you know, 30 seconds with, with Bob, you know, or, or or 20 seconds with, you know, somebody else, because everybody's busy running around doing their thing, uh, That that's the best part. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what cons have become for me. I love dressing up. I love making stuff. And I don't know if that'll ever go away, but... At the end of the day, it's about the people I get to see at a convention that really makes a difference for me. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I've I've often chronicled how um, my convention going has changed, and I have a feeling that it's probably gone relatively the same way for you guys. Where when I started going, you're a fan, and you're kind of more into like you know initially I would say buying stuff. And then it kind of changes into, no, you're more about the guests and the panels. And then once you enter into cosplay, it's about the costuming and showing off the costume. And then as you do that, you connect, you make friends, more friends. And then you have your con friends or the friends you always go with. And next thing you know, while the costuming might still be there or some of the other stuff might still be there to a degree, it really becomes a truly social event hanging with these people. Um, and that's that to me has been the, the convention yeah, it- journey of my life, it seems. I mean, to cut you off. What were you going to yeah, say? Yeah, we've we've made some of the closest friends we've ever had at conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, I said we've made some of the closest friends we ever have at a convention. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, and and I think that's what makes it so so great. And I think the thing I, you don't think about when you start to do cosplay is how you are truly wearing your fandom colors on your sleeve. 
and it immediately attracts i think people to you and they want to talk to you and you're and so fellow people who are into costuming or whatever you're doing starbuck or punisher or indiana jones so now you're you're immediately finding all these people of like minds and you're you're collaborating on things or at least you're just geeking out over well yeah and i remember that episode when this happened and next thing you know you met a friend for life it's pretty cool yeah oh, absolutely um, but back to specific costumes, I usually I like to ask what your first costume was, and I think you pretty much already answered that, um, uh, what Indiana Jones and, and so on, but what is your favorite costume that you have done? Um, I mean, my favorite costumes I've done have been Poison Ivy, um, mostly because she's my favorite comic book character of all time. But each costume kind of has its special place in my heart. I mean, it's, it's kind of like having kids. Like, nobody's your favorite, but you do have the ones that are definitely very special to you. Claudette, mm-hmm. um, you know, is one of the first costumes that Keith and I, from the ground up, with the exception of the sword, which was a wedding present from our friend Dave, um, we, we built, you know, which was a very small costume, which we think would be a lot easier, but it wasn't. Um, and the the Black Canary Bombshell, but inspired by Aunt Lucia, that was that was a real big one too. Uh, for me personally, uh, you know, um, and I, I'm sure that you're probably in the same boat. I pick characters that I really like, mm-hmm. uh, and so I'm pulled into it. You know, whether it be, you know, I love Ash from you know Evil Dead and Army of Darkness. You know, I'm a big fan of Riker. Um, I like Logan, you know, Wolverine from the X-Men, um, you know, Indiana Jones, obviously. Uh, and then I stumbled on a Tony Stark. Interestingly enough, I wasn't really an Iron Man fan at the time. And I had enough people after I watched the Iron Man movie, I liked the movie that just said, oh, you have to do this. And I, I just, I didn't want to. And I, I think it was, it wasn't until, until Genio. Uh, in Victoria, I'm sure you know uh, Scruffy Rebel and Ginio. Right. Um, Ginio, he's like, you know what? You have to do this costume. I will, I will loan you my costume that I made for Fanime, if or Anime Expo, just so you'll do this costume. And at that point in time, I started thinking about, it. I'm like, uh, well, maybe I'll give it a shot. And I did. I researched it. I actually fell in love with the character. Um, and it was really no going back at that point in time. I found a character that I really kind of had a lot of fun with. But each character has its uh, pluses and minuses. And I think, again, it's because you pick a character because you really like the character and or you like the, the particular fandom that you're into. Uh, so, you know, some costumes I like for different reasons. I love Indiana Jones because it's Indiana Jones, but it's also fairly comfortable. And I got a bag and pockets where I can stuff. Uh, I love BSG because even more comfortable um it's funny how as as i do this longer and i get a little bit older uh, having pockets and comfort is a pretty big deal um but uh i just recently did uh, dr krieger from archer which was the first time i've done kind of an animated character mm-hmm. and it was it was actually a lot of fun i didn't i wasn't sure what it was going to be and how it was going to turn out but uh, the response from people was pretty big, and people just seemed to love it. They liked the show, and seeing somebody representing that character uh, was seemed to be huge for them. Um, I was just thinking how a lot of the costumes that I see you do, I mean, the, the TNG ones are the top of the heap in a way for me, and I guess uh, stuff like Tony Stark. You, you always seem to, and when I say you, I mean both of you, uh, pick 
costumes that you're also fairly well cast for? Do you keep that in mind? Like what you physically can pull off more than others or it's just, nope, I like that character. I'm doing it. Um, I, I think in some ways, yes. Um, obviously that goes back into the accuracy part for us, but at the same time there have been characters like I've done Chun-Li and I am not Asian, you know, but I love Chun-Li and how badass she is. Um, so I, I think it's just, it really depends on how much you, how much we enjoy the character and, and seeing if we can make it happen. You know, there, there are so many techniques with makeup and wigs and, and hairstyling and just, just anything, prosthetics that you can, you can change your face to become anything almost. Mm-hmm. For, for me personally, I'm, um, I've always been a bit of an accuracy nut. So the things I like, uh, like I, I'm kind of a down to your shoelaces kind of guy when it comes to trying to put together a costume. And even if it's something that I see in a comic, you know, I, I kind of try to translate it to what it might actually be, um, and give it the look and feel of something that as if it stepped off the page. Uh, so I think that I tend to try to pick characters that I can remotely pull off. I mean, yeah, I, I know I don't look a lot like Harrison Ford. And I'm definitely not medium brown-haired and that kind of thing. But I think when I put the whole thing together, people still get it and they see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, I believe that no matter what your you know, uh, ethnicity is or your body type is or honestly even your gender, you know, do whatever the heck you want. If that's your fandom and that's what you love, go sure. for it. I'm of the personal opinion that I will always do my best to cosplay or to costume my body type, and I'll pick characters that work for my look at the time. Uh, and it's only because of my love of the character. So, you know, at the moment, I'm not physically where I want to be fitness-wise. So I, I don't think I would do Tony Stark, because Tony Stark is a fairly lean, relatively fit guy. I can't see myself as that. So if I put on that outfit, I don't feel right. Um I did Spider-Man several years ago, and I literally got down to a point in time where I was probably, you know, a good 20 pounds under what my normal fit weight would be. Mm-hmm. It's where I'm eating salads and liquid shakes just to be able to fit the suit. It was fine for, like, two cons, but by the next year, I realized I can never maintain that, and I sold off the suit because I'm like, well, if I can't look the way I want to in that costume... I'm not going to do it. Uh, but, you know, everybody's got their own personal thing, and I think that that ultimately is everybody. Whatever works for you, do it. I just happen to be kind of an accuracy nut. And, uh, well, you're so. more worried about being comfortable in your own skin. I mean, it's just like, if I'm not feeling my best, I'm not going to go put on a skimpy thong bikini and go prance around the, the beach because I'm just like, nope, nope, I don't feel comfortable. So I don't think it's it's necessarily that i think it's just you know being comfortable and some people are comfortable with with different things than others yeah well uh, you know that's what was funny about doing Riker, is uh i love the fact that Riker uh that his weight fluctuates depending on the season oh yeah i'm like oh i can do this character for multiple for multiple years (laughs) (laughs) uh, it's horrible to say that but you know for me like i said being an accuracy nut you know that's what i look at for myself anyway 
Uh, yeah, no, I was gonna, I was gonna say, uh, I'm sure uh, every every cosplayer knows the uh, the con diet syndrome when you're trying to, especially get into anything super heroic, um, or as you say, Spider Man or or Tony Stark or something like that. Um, do you still have periods where it's like, okay, this con's coming up and doing this character, so I'm on this kind of diet or this kind of exercise regimen? time <laughs> yeah and it's a bit of a struggle i mean i'm hoping that this year i really want to do uh nathan drake from uncharted 4 that's kind of one of my things on my list but again it's for me if i get down to a, a, a target weight that i think i can do it i'll do it if not then i won't i mean last year it was um uh, uh raylan givens from justified uh and, you know, I don't really a character a lot of people know, but I like the show and I wanted to do the character. But I, I wanted to be able to trim down enough to be able to sort of kind of half pull it off. So, you know, yeah, you know, you, you try to eat better, you try to work out hard. So it doesn't always work out the way you want it to. So I like having a backup plan. Ghostbusters is a good backup plan. Yeah. <laughs> very, very true. That's an every I'm sorry? Uh, Ghostbusters is an every man's costume. Absolutely, yes. Uh, and it's funny, that's one of those ones where I keep going, I should really put one of those together. And then I talk to a buddy of mine who knows knows all about it, like another friend who knows about Indiana Jones. And, and I yeah. went, wow, like I shouldn't be surprised that it's this complicated <laughs> to put one of these things together. <laughs> yeah, I've been working on it uh, off and on for a while, and I'm still working on it. Um, it, it is, it's like anything, uh, you you know, I mean, you have your peers, but the one thing that's great about a Ghostbusters costume uh, Everybody is... Everybody knows your name? Uh, no, that's Cheers. Oh, oops. Uh, <laughs> but they all know who to call. Um, but it, it is really an Everman's costume, so you can get away. If your hair is long, it's fine. If you got a beard, it's fine. If you're overweight, it's fine. If you're underweight, it's fine. Every kid, every adult will always know who you are, mm-hmm. and that's the beauty of that costume. Uh, now, do you believe in um, putting together a version of a costume just to get out there, meet a deadline, hit a con, and then upgrade that costume to whatever level you want to get it at? Or are you all about, nope, it's going to be perfect, uh, first time out of the gate? Um, well, obviously, with making something that's two-dimensional or even three-dimensional reality for the first time, you're going to have improvements you make every convention. For the most part, Keith and I are not the rush costume people. Uh, we we project plan. In fact, we run a panel called you know, on project planning called Crafter Fandom, mm-hmm. sponsored by the RF, mm-hmm. um, about not rushing it and not just throwing something together. Uh, I said today to a friend of mine, I have never ever put a, together a costume the night before a convention. I've never done that because I I that would literally drive me up the wall. I'd be yeah. insane. Um, we do make improvements, like we're like, okay, when we get back, we have to fix this part. But for the most part, not really. Um, I, I yeah, I think for me being a bit of a purist, I, I don't really like to put out a product uh, that is good enough. Um, but at the same time, there are always going to be those things. So if I make a commitment to do a custom group with a bunch of friends. And things aren't working out the way I would like them to. Something didn't come in in time, uh, you know, whatever. Um, then I will do whatever I have to do to make sure that I meet my commitment. Because the last thing I want to do is let my friends down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's kind of that fine line. But if I'm the only one dependent on it, 
then if it doesn't happen the way that I'd like it to happen, then I'll I'll put it on back burner and I'll come back to it later. I've been working on a Judge Dredd costume from the 2012 Judge Dredd off and on for you know a pretty long time now. Same thing with Ghostbusters; it, it, they'll get done eventually, but you know I, I'm not going to force it. it they'll, they'll happen when they happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, what has been your most challenging costume to put together? Claudette. That costume is so small, you can't hide any mistakes or any seams, and anime boobs magically float on the air. So making that a reality was probably the most challenging thing ever for me. (laughs) Man, I had a a pretty big hand in that costume. I mean, uh, most of the costumes I've done throughout the years have been uh, reproductions from something from film or TV. Mm-hmm. So it's. Oh, you sculpted my boobs. Yeah, no, but I, I'm talking about my own costumes. Uh-huh. Um, so it's a little different, I think. Uh, but when you're taking something, uh, Claudette was a good example of something that was animated and taking it and taking it from that and trying to turn it into something real uh, uh, was really quite an interesting process. Uh, just the design work of making something functional. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that you actually had to move in and there would be no wardrobe mal- malfunctions was uh, quite interesting. That was fun. What um, what would you say, in, and this could be from a library day or a convention or whatever, what would you say has been your best or worst experience in costume? I'm going to go with... Um, uh, boy, that's a good one. Um, most of my costume experiences have been pretty good, um, but I'm going to go with most painful costume experience probably is going to go to my Master Chief uh, <sighs> Halo 3 Spartan armor uh, by just design alone. It had a very weird weight imbalance. And so uh, the back was heavier than the front. So consequently, I was struggling to make sure it was upright most of the time. Uh, so it, that was interesting. Yeah, I walked away uh, with a lot of bruises and pinched skin and um, sore muscles. <laughs> so that was my experience. Uh, you've had a number of them. Um, well, I've had, you know losing feeling in my legs because my seams are too tight and you know when I do body paint I can't eat or drink or sit or do anything for eight hours um I think one of my worst experiences was actually recently at a convention um there was a sports event going on at the same time and I was coming through the hotel lobby dressed as uh, the bombshell that black canary and I actually had a group of women approach me and the things they said to me I I literally, I got out of there and I burst into tears, which for mm. me is, is a big deal because they were using derogatory terms for women that coming from women directed at another woman was just appalling to me. Hmm. Um, so I think that's, I, but it didn't make me want to stop at all. I mean, it, it, it hit me hard because... I come from a, a place where I think women should support one another. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody should support one another, but women especially, you know, because we have a unique view of things. We can tell what another woman goes through and have a woman, a group of women attack me as a person without even knowing me was a 
it was kind of a big blow. And I just recall two other circumstances. All of my costume experiences have always been physical. Um, one of the other ones that comes to mind is uh, I was is at Dragon Con. Dragon Con could be a very warm place. And I was getting into Iron Man, and I'm 90% into the armor. Uh, I've got gloves to put on, and for whatever reason, I'm standing by the window. I don't remember why exactly. Uh, and there's a lot of light coming in. And once the whole suit was on, and I'm about ready to put the gloves on, I had this weird flush come completely over me. And I started getting nauseous. And I, at that point in time, uh, somebody described it as I went white. And uh, and I, I just looked and went, no, no, can't do it. Get me out of this thing. Because I actually am bolted into the, uh, the upper chest piece. So it requires another party to get me out of it. Mm. Uh, so that's that. And then there's another time I was doing um, a Warner Brothers uh, Batman-related thing up in Sacramento. Uh, uh, Stage 9 um, often does these cool things in Old Sac, um, and they were doing a Batman big event. And so I was up there doing Batman. And normally we stayed in a shaded area. Sacramento gets really warm. Uh, that had these uh, misters, so it was pretty fine. But they wanted us to come out and do some photos by the big fire truck, so we actually came out into the sun. And I'm in, uh, you know, a urethane cowl, wearing foam latex, and I hit the sun, and it's it, it's like that 100-degree weather goes up to, like, a huge, 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 I don't know what happened, but suddenly I feel like I'm cooking inside of my suit. And I'm like, okay, nope, nope, got to get out of the sun. I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna die right now. So, uh, but yeah. So for me, it's always been a comfort thing, and you know, unfortunately for Abby, there's been other experiences. So, yeah, uh, I, I imagine, uh, especially with costumes like uh, Shaun of the She Devil, you must uh, get some. I mean, I'm sure you get compliments, but you must get a lot of unwanted attention from from guys in that as well. Um, actually, the most attention I get when I'm wearing the costume is actually from other women thinking that it's okay to come up to me and touch me. Oh. Uh, um, but most of the, yeah, do I get, ooh, boob, comments. Yeah, obviously, thank you very <laughs> and much. And that's normally a line. It, yeah. It's interesting. People, like, what we thought for sure that when she was wearing Claudette, which is definitely one of the tiniest of costumes that she's worn, that there would be so much hate and so much, you know, drama as a result of it. Uh, we braced ourselves for it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Game of Thrones. You know, winter is coming, but it turned out that that was actually one of the costumes that got the least amount of flack, and it was really bizarre. And we've come to realize that when she's in a a, a kind of a somewhat powerful costume, guys tend to be afraid. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. I'm scary. I'm doing a powerful character, but even the you know Shaun of the She Devil, you know, a lot of people don't realize that that character has the strength to kill dinosaurs, and that's what I keep bringing back to people. It's like, yeah, this person's not wearing very much, but they still could kill you mm. in like seconds flat. Is Black Widow sexy as hell? You betcha, but she knows more about guns and killing someone than you would ever know. It, the, these women are scantily dressed, sure, but they're some of the most powerful women, no matter what they are or not wearing. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why I'm okay with doing a, a costume that doesn't have a lot to it, 
because I know the character that I'm trying to embody is an example of what woman what womanhood can be. It can be sexy and it can be strong. I mean, you think about a character like Slave Leia, and she basically, while being a slave, takes her chain and chokes Jabba out. <laughs> I mean, you know, how much better than does it get than that? Oh, that's a very good point. Yeah. Um, you know, something I, I do want to touch on briefly is materials. What do you like to work with and where do you often source your, and it could just be, it could be fabric. It could be uh, plastic or where you repurpose your props from like where, where are your sources that you generally hit up when you're working on your projects? Um, well, we're fortunate to be in the Bay Area, so we have um, a warehouse of Douglas and Surgis, and they sell smooth-on products as well as their own products when it comes to casting and mold-making materials. We uh, also have a couple of... We have Krylon right down the city, uh, so yeah. if we need makeup, we can go right down there. Or even classes about makeup. Yeah. Um, there's a the couple of really great fabric stores near us that sell really unique fabric. Yeah. Um, we don't have the L.A. Fashion District, but we still have some pretty cool stuff up here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as research and sourcing props, you know, our, Keith and I's thing has always been, if somebody has already invented the wheel and they have invented the ultimate wheel, why would we redo it? So a lot of times, you know, we have a lot of friends, Bill Doran, I just got a scissor blade from Kill a Kill from GS Props. They have perfected their techniques, so I'm not going to reinvent the wheel and try to sculpt and make my own when I already know that the best thing is already out there. Mm. Unless you just really want to learn something yeah. specific, but uh, you know, like for example, when it comes to cows, uh, I'm of the opinion that if I want a really nice cow and as long as it fits me, I'm probably going to go to somebody like Reeves Effects because I mean he's really honed his craft. Mm. He's good at what he does. If I if I'm going to try to make my own cow. I'm going to spend five times the money at least on mistakes, on redos, because you know the first one's not going to turn out the way I want it to. Uh, so in some cases, it's always best just to kind of don't reinvent the wheel. Go with somebody who's really good at what they do and, and take advantage of their skill and their, their own mistakes along the way, uh, you know, unless you just really want to make it yourself. Uh, and that's fine, too. And sometimes we get that hair up our butt and we're like, you know what? Yeah, we really want to do this ourselves. Other times, not so much. But as far as the materials, um, as we grow more and more, we start developing uh, multi-mediums of things that we want. to. So if it's leather, we want leather. And we like using real stuff, too. So uh, I don't think I've ever used pleather on a costume. Not, I, I don't have anything against it. I just, I like... I like leather. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, if it's uh, like my Jedi cloak, you know, I spent a fair amount of money on it, but I wanted a good, weird, heavy weight wool that had the bounce and flow that I saw on screen. Uh, I know I could do it a different way, and I know I could have done it a cheaper way. But for me, what I saw when I was done was something that I was happy with, and I, it moved the way I expected it to. So I think that that's kind of the thing when we did uh, Abby's uh, planning for her Sitzteel Sean from um, uh, Star, excuse me, Star Wars: The Old Republic. We realized that going leather and doing it in that manner was the only way to get the look that we really wanted to. So that's been our thing lately. Is we uh, we'll, like we'll go to Tandy a lot for leather stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, you, it just, we get a costume that will actually last us for years versus a con. 
What do you feel and is in uh, that sense? It's worth it. Oh, of course. Um, I was going to say, what what do you feel is the most important thing you've learned doing cosplay, whether it be a specific technique or a philosophy? Um, you know, what one of the things that we preach, so to speak, in our um, craft your phantom panel is before you dive into any costume, you kind of take a, a, a huge step back. You do all your research. You storyboard whatever costume you want to do. You start taking notes on that storyboard of what you think things might be made of, uh, where you might have seen these shoes or these boots or, or what the jacket might be. And you start documenting all of it. And then you go out and you research that particular type of fabric or that leather, and you get a rough idea of what that might cost you. Uh, and then you actually look at what your budget is. Uh, far too often, uh, people dive into this thing without thinking about budget. And then you hit a wall and you realize that you don't have the money to support the things that you want to do. And then you don't finish it. Or then somewhere along the line, you'll just half pass it because you want to get it done, but you didn't really put any forethought into it. So it, it, that whole pre-step of planning it all out so that you kind of know where you're going, when do you need it by, allowing yourself extra time, are there new skills that you're going to try to learn? If there are, allow yourself a lot more extra time. And that's going to help you avoid making mistakes that will be costly and time-consuming. So this way you can stay on schedule and on track and on budget. How long typically does it take you guys to make a costume on average? Uh, that depends on the costume, I think. I mean, anywhere, because we normally just work on the weekends because we both have real jobs, or I did up until recently. Um, you know, normally I would say it's a good two to three months of working just on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, that's pretty con. You dig, in. <laughs> you dig in and you're like burning the midnight oil. Yeah, I've been there myself. That that sounds about right, more or less, for a lot of the stuff I've worked on. Some take longer, some can be shorter, and it's like, oh my god, that came together in two weeks. Who knew? But yeah, two to three months sounds about right. Um, yeah, I mean, hmm? you never fully know exactly how, especially if you're doing new techniques. You just don't know how they're going to work out. So you hope. What, uh, what, I mean, maybe this is the same answer, and if it is, that's fine, but what would be your uh, your number one tip to beginners in cosplay? Would it be this or something else? Uh, do it because you want to spend the time and the money on it. You know, if you, if you don't really love a character or a costume, you're going to, but halfway through when you're, you're about ready to cry over it or just toss it out the window, you there's not going to be reason to keep it. So make sure that's something you really, really love. <laughs> yeah, I, I subscribe to the same thing. When you're passionate about something, you know, it's kind of like you just really want to be the ninth doctor. That, that is what you always want to be. That is your thing. And, and uh, that passion around that character is going to drive you through those times where you're so frustrated because you can't make this or you can't source that. And, and you'll keep going. You'll just, you'll dig your way through and you'll finally have it in your hands. And, uh, you know, when, when you think about the whole concept around craft your fandom, uh, the RPF came up with this idea where you, you see it, right? That's what inspires you. You see it, whether it be in a comic book or on a TV show or in a movie. You research it. You go to those forums, whether it be the RPF or Indie Gear or, or you know, one of the Doctor Who, you know, live journal list of things or Tumblr or wherever it is that you're finding your information from. And eventually you either you build it or you assemble it, however it's going to work for you. And eventually you either get to be it or you get to own it. 
You know, it might be that prop you always wanted, but that's the process. And the gratification at the very end of that journey is pretty cool. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so to, to round this off, uh, what is uh, currently on your docket for costumes now and where can people find you online? Uh, right now I'm working on uh, Lara Croft, um, more of an Adam Hughes inspired version. I'm suddenly doing a um, Black Cat, re- redoing that, um, and coming out with a She-Hulk for mm. a project. Uh, that was it's, it's actually um, a project I'm working with the team in LA on. So and then of course there's uh, the the high hopes for Red Sonia, which Red is Sonia. The, the sideshow collectibles version. Um, we'll see. We haven't even dove into that one yet. We're still working on sourcing out all the little pieces and parts based off of the statue. Um, for me, I have a couple things that I'd like to do. I would love to do some Halo ODST armor. Uh, that's kind of on a list, but we'll see what happens. Working on Ghostbusters. I mentioned Judge Dredd, you know, the 2012 Dredd. Um, I, I'm, I want to put together a Last Crusade indie, and uh, Abby's actually going to do Elsa. I'm going to do Elsa, but nice. I told the only way I would do Elsa is I could run around with a sign that said I wouldn't let it go. <laughs> I like and, it. <laughs> The other thing I mentioned is uh, I, I want to do Nathan Drake once and for all from uh, and this time around from Uncharted 4. So that's kind of the stuff I have on my list, um, and we'll kind of see how all that goes. You know, budget is, is always a, an issue. Uh, time is an issue. And then, you know, like I said earlier, fitness is an issue. So if all those things align, we might see those things come together. I completely hear you. I have a uh, wonderfully accurate Chris Reeves Superman sitting in my closet that is waiting for me to hit the right weight to put it on. I know that feeling. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, where can people find you online? Um, you can find me online, facebook.com slash abbydarkstar, at abbydarkstar, Twitter, Instagram, all the usual things. And then Keith? Um, well, Abby and I both have a website together called uh, Kiabdium, which is my first two letters of my first name, uh, her first two letters of her first name, and then um, I, I already lost the spelling of it now. T-I-U-M. Which uh, is- as in the um, element. Yeah, as a gassy element, I think. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> Yeah, kiabdium.com. Um, I'm on Facebook as uh, Keith Zen of Kiabdium. Otherwise, oddly enough, I'm official Zen D at every other thing. Why? Because apparently somebody took Zen Dragon and every other close to Zen Dragon there is. So, yeah. As that's, it, that's where I'm at. As it happens. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I'm, I'm glad we finally got around to doing this. Yeah, no kidding, and sorry for talking your ear off. <laughs> Trust me, uh, there, there have been other guests who certainly have talked on more, so don't feel guilty at all. This is always good. Always good to have the info out there, that's what I say. This is why nobody ever interviews us, because we won't show up. <laughs> well, it's better than uh, interviewing people who have difficulty getting out you know, actual uh, answers beyond like two words. Not that I've really run into that problem, but I'd rather have the, the former than the latter, if you ask me. Anyway. I suppose if you're editing, it's better to have more to work with than less. Exactly. Very good point. Exactly. He's going to cut us down that we're going to be like a three-minute bit. Yes. No. Yes. No. Thinking. No. Abby's giving you all the, the one-word answers that you can use yes, later. Yes, I'm... Yeah. Ah! <laughs>
I hate blah. <laughs> I don't want to ever blah, blah, blah. Yes, exactly. Is that how it works? Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for the help. I like it. Um, all right. Um, but uh, yeah, this has been awesome. Um, and I look forward to seeing what you guys come up with in the future. I'm very sorry. I'm not going to see you guys at Big Wow. I guess that means next time I see you will very likely be Comic-Con. Yeah. Well, and yeah, if, if we can get rooms, that would be awesome. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah. Hey. Sad that it's getting in that state. Sacrifice to the goats now. Yep, exactly. Mm. And on that note, uh, this has been uh, Abby and Keith. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, now it's her turn. Gifts, horse, and the mouse. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we'll be back with more Shop Talk next week here on Costume Station Zero. (laughs) 